Hey, hey, y'all. It's me, Robin. And just real quick before we get to today's episode, if you are loving listening to the podcast, or maybe you don't know because you've just pressed play for the first time ever, but if you like to listen to things in your earbuds, you are going to be so happy to know that Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors is now released as an audiobook. You can get it in Audible or wherever else you get your audiobooks. And of course, you can still get it in print and ebook. If you go to robingobel.com slash book, it's going to give you all the options, including that you could order a signed copy from my local bookstore. Alrighty, y'all. Here's that podcast episode you're waiting for. Hey again, welcome back, or maybe welcome for the first time. You're here with the Parenting After Trauma podcast, and I'm Robin Goebel, your host. You've just joined me on a journey of taking the science of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human and translating that for parents of kids who've experienced trauma. But actually, y'all, this has sort of evolved to a podcast that's for parents who are just interested in the science of behavior or parents who are parenting intense kids with big behaviors. Not to mention the fact that I know probably at least half of y'all are professionals in the field. So welcome to you too. I'm a psychotherapist with over 15 years of experience working with kids with big behaviors, many of who have experienced significant trauma, but some who just have other differences that are leading to really big behaviors. I'm a self-diagnosed brain geek and relationship freak. I study the brain kind of obsessively and even previously taught the science of interpersonal neurobiology in a postgraduate certificate program. I started this podcast on a whim with the intention really to just get you free and accessible support as fast as possible. So the podcast isn't fancy. I do very little editing, but I am really super proud of the fact that we are inching closer and closer to the one year birthday for the podcast, which is sort of mind-blowing to me. Anyway, if you love this episode, add Parenting After Trauma to your favorite podcast player, and then definitely share with your friends and colleagues. After you do that, head over to my website and get started on my masterclass about what behavior really is. It's the perfect place to start your journey on learning, unlearning everything we were taught about behavior, like since we were small. Start that masterclass at robingobel.com slash masterclass. In today's episode, you're going to meet Greg Santucci, occupational therapist extraordinaire, who is getting a ton of attention due to his very clear, but also non-judgmental stance towards behavioral approaches and specifically behavior therapy. This interview actually is the first time I ever talked to Greg, although before we hit record, we discovered that only like the week previously, Greg was actually here in my hometown on a very long layover, which I wish I had known. I totally would have gone to the airport and like had a Starbucks with him. But anyway, this is the first time Greg and I actually talked. And as I suspected, we are kindred spirits indeed. Holy moly, we laugh in this podcast. And it's really fun that we got to document the beginnings of our friendship right here on this podcast. I included Greg's interview in this series on supporting our kids at school because of his extensive background in working with the schools, training in schools, and making big shifts in how schools see kids and his behavior, kids and their behavior. Also, I didn't want to wait any longer to get you this interview because it's so super fun. 
Usually right now is when I tell you that today's episode is sponsored by the club, but I'm actually going to go a little different direction today and tell you that this episode with Greg is sponsored by my new 12 month immersive and holistic program for kids and family professionals being with being with has emerged from everything that I've needed, but had to piecemeal together with many trainings over many years. Being with brings together a solid connection to the neuroscience, creates a toolbox full of tools to help you both be with struggling families and to help you help families be with their kids, as well as a space and the invitation for you to grow in your self-attunement, because actually that's the most important part. It's the most important part for you and for the families that you work with. I want great therapists and professionals and helpers and educators to develop the inner resilience that's needed to stay in this field and serve struggling families for a really long time. So being with is my offering actually to both professionals and ultimately the families that they serve. The inaugural 2022 cohort begins in January and registration will be open through December 17th, 2021. You can read all about being with, sign up for an opportunity to ask me questions about it. Everything you'll need is over at robingobel.com slash being with. Okay, now let's get to Greg. Meeting Greg seriously has been one of the highlights of 2021 for me. You will love him. Greg, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast this morning. We're up bright and early for both of us. We've got our coffee in hand and already it's been so fun to talk to you. So I can't wait to, to see how this unfolds. Yeah, thanks for having me and congratulations on the success of the podcast. Thank you so much. It's been so fun. It's really, and, and it like, you know, it's given me the opportunity to talk to just amazing people all over the world and connect with amazing people, you know, have the listeners all over yeah. the world. So it's been a really, really gratifying. You know, project. it's, it's really inspiring that, um, that this message of connection and regulation and, and felt safety is, is really starting to get legs. Yes. Um, you know, people are, are committing to it and realizing, holy cow, this really works. Um, and it's evidence-based and it's objective. Yes. Um, but I think the most important part, I know you're going to agree with me, is uh, it just feels good. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, and it, it, it's a win for everybody. Yes. Nobody's undermined. Everybody feels better. Everybody gets validated. Everybody's concerns are met. And, and so, so here we are. And so, well, let's just push forward. I completely agree. It just <laughs> feels good. Yeah. I totally agree. Well, you know, <laughs> I got to know you, like probably a lot of my listeners got to know you, which is on Facebook because you have this amazing Facebook page that has just exploded and you put such practical, helpful, dynamic content out there. And that's just, that's how I discovered you. And so tell me more about you. Like, let's let, let me know more about you than Facebook. So yeah, <laughs> and, and the the start of Facebook was in, was incredible. But I mean, the most important thing is I'm a dad. Um, I have two kids. I have a a 14 year old daughter um, and a, a soon to be 13 year old son. And and I've been on this parenting journey, um, kind of a, a neuroscience geek myself. Mm-hmm. 
And, and I am proud to say, especially with my teenage daughter, that it pays huge dividends yes. in, in the long run. And, and I see, you know, her friends and, and people that she grew up with who have, you know, different relationships with different parenting styles. And, and I am not perfect. I mess up every day. I own it when I mess up, yep. but I am really comfortable with where I am as a parent and with the relationship with my kids. So, you know, to anybody listening, it's, it's worth it. You'll, you'll, you may get some pushback from people who subscribe to a more archaic model yeah. of parenting, <laughs> but it's worth it. Um, so me, I, I went to Penn state uh, since I was a kid, I've always wanted to work with kids. That was, that was no, no different. My mom used to call me the Pied Piper um, because the kids in the neighborhood always used to follow me. So it was, there was just something I am in awe of child development um, and how the brain developed. So that's, that's how I got here, but I went to Penn state and I didn't know what occupational therapy was. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had a physical therapist tell me that I was an occupational therapist. And when I started, um, looking into it and I learned about all of this sensory processing stuff, I'm like, wait a minute, I have that. Um, so I'm going to be really good at this thing, OT, because I'm a sensory hot mess. And if there's an actual <laughs> science behind this, whatever this is, I am going to be the expert because I'm in my mid, I'm in my late forties now and, and I'm still separating my food and rolling up my sleeves and cutting out tags and shirts. So that's how I got to be, I guess, a good OT is because I so get it. Yes. Um, so there's that um, in terms of Facebook. So I've been in OT for 20 years. I've been in the schools for 20 years. Um, okay. I've had uh, a century clinic. I had a century clinic for 15 plus years. Now I work for children's specialized hospital where I actually still do clinical okay. work. I still have okay. a caseload in the schools, but the thing, the, the explosion with Facebook was really, it's a, it's a crazy story about um, I, I guess it was like, five, six years ago, I was working in an ABA school or Mm -hmm. verbal behavior school, if you will. And I went to pick up a kid who was outside on the playground and he didn't want to come in because it was the summer and he was outside on a playground. God forbid he wants to stay out there and play in the sun. Yes. Um, But the teacher, uh, you know, in a behavioral mindset decided that no, it's time for OT. The demand was placed. Yep. And they tried to physically pull him off of the playground, which okay. I objected to. Yes. Um, but they held their expectation. And when he started getting aggressive, of course, because they're trying to physically remove him from a playground, they the behavior plan was to do a visual screen, which was covering his face with a wool hat until he complied. And... Mm-hmm. It broke me. It yes. broke him. And I had to leave work early. I was so sick. I had to leave work early. And I went in my car and I called the state institutional abuse line and said, this is bull. Like, you yeah. can't do this to kids. And the state came in and investigated. And and that was really what lit a fire in me that hasn't died down. I just mm-hmm. keep you know, fanning the flames. So <laughs> I, I had that post on my personal page yes. and it kind of blew up and I'm like, okay, well, my personal page is like my kid's soccer goals and pictures of my mini Labradoodle. So yes. I, I have to, I have to 
to transfer this quick. And then, and then it's, you know, 41,000 people in in a little over a year, um, just keeping it real and saying, look, I know what we've always done. Um, but we have to do better. We know so much more now. And you know what? It's okay. We were doing things wrong. We were hurting kids. There were unintended consequences. We did not mean to. Every, I yes. assume that everybody here is here to help children. And, you know, I'll get ripped on a little bit for, you know, am I picking on teachers? Am I tearing apart behaviorists? Yes to the latter. But in terms of teacher, um, <laughs> teachers, no, I'm not ripping apart teachers. Right. Um, you know, we're just, we know more now. So we have right. to be brave enough to to move past what we've always done, to move past behaviorism and really focus on what the brain is wired to do. And that's connect with human beings. Um, So now it's just, you know what, I'm going to be the voice for the kids who don't have a voice. Um, And I'm going to use a ton of practical examples. And this community on Facebook, they're just great and so diverse. And there's so many autistic adults on there um, and so many educators and therapists and parents. So it's like, you know what, let's just, talk shop, but keep it real. And, uh, you know, we all have the same struggles in our house, trying to get the kids on the bus in the morning and, and, you know, you know, picking your kid up off of the floor and target, like, let's, let's get real. Um, So that's kind of been my journey. And, you know, again, 20 something years deep, I am more fired up now. I know there's a lot of burnout out there right now, but I'm actually more fired up now than I ever had been. Um, So again, we just keep pressing until we can get this feel good science-based model out there. So that's me in a nutshell. I a long love- nutshell. <laughs> well, so many parts of that, but, but this last piece that you said that will feel good science-based model. And I think for those of us who are unabashedly willing to prioritize that first part, the feel good part, like it feels like so many people are afraid to say like, no, we like this model or this model works and we know it works because it feels good as opposed to, cause it's backed by so much evidence-based, whatever, whatever. <laughs> okay. That's important too, but to just be really bold, to be like, no, it feels good and yes. that matters. And it certainly feels a lot better. I mean, even the story that you're telling about the playground and, you know, the child who, you know, had a quote unquote demand place. I mean, even that just like hearing the story brings like this nausea, into my own belly. And then I think about all the disembodiment that must be happening in the grownups. If for grown, you know, for me to hear this story five years later, however many years ago it was, and to feel nauseous in my body, to assume that grownups implementing that sort of model would must be feeling that somewhere in their body as well. But because of the expectations of our jobs and our culture Mm -hmm. and our, you know, all these things that we've had to really disembody from that. So then, of course, it's hard to shift to a feel good, quote unquote, feel good model. That makes so much sense. I went back and I I talked to the teacher. It took it took about 48 hours for them to fire me. So I had, I had some time to go back and, and talk to the teacher who was a friend of mine and a lovely human being. Of course. Um, like, of course. But, and was doing what the behavior plan said. That was approved by 
yeah. everyone through the yes. administration. And, you know, as we were talking about it and talking about the, the, the kids, how we just broke him, you, you see, you saw the, the devastation yeah. come over. Like, like that was not what was ever intended. I was just doing what I was told. I was doing right. what I was taught in school. Right. Um, right. It's okay to push back. Um, and, you know, it would be interesting. I, I haven't seen her since, obviously, it's, it's since 48 hours after the incident. But um, I don't know if she she talked to me at this point because I really kind of shook it up there. But, um, but you know, it's just we, we have to get back to the humanity of, yes. you know, there are these these not only kids, but these vulnerable kids there. Yeah. So we have to get away from the the mindset of hey we can control another human being by getting them getting them to do what we want by you know bribing them with something they like um to just okay what do they need yes. and when i give them what they need and i earn their trust and they feel safe with me well then sky's the limit and you're starting from a a very strong foundation yeah. of you know that that co-regulation that that everybody feeling safe with each other and then you just move forward um it's just so different yes yeah. and assuming that what that they're doing what their body needs in that moment too mm-hmm. which you and I haven't talked about but i'm assuming we both feel the same way about that that like no matter right. how like i i don't use the word maladaptive and right. like i have a blog post like there's no such thing as maladaptive like in every mm-hmm. unfolding moment are we're doing exactly what like our neurobiology believes is the exact right. best thing to do in that moment. Now the next moment it could totally change. Right. But in that moment, because of how we're experiencing the world and kind of mashing it together with all our past experiences, we're doing and, exactly what think needs to be right. done. And that's what we hear in school. Well, I know we can do it. I know we can do it. Uh-huh. I understand that, but not in that moment. And here we are in this moment. So get back with him. Don't just force him into what you think he can do because he's done it before for you. Right. Go back to the human. Right. Get, get away from the demand and go back to the human. I'm interrupting the show real quick because if you happen to be a new listener, you might find yourself being a little overwhelmed by all this information. That makes total sense. I mean, there's like 150 episodes plus all the free resources that are available over my website. It's just a lot. So many folks have asked me, where do I start? So I created a separate podcast stream called Start here. What I did is I took the 10 episodes that I want you to listen to first, and then I want you to listen to in this specific order. And I put them into a separate podcast stream so that you don't have to search for them. You can just press play and they'll play one after the other after the other. If you go to robingoble.com slash start here, you'll be able to get an invitation to subscribe. And then you'll be able to listen right in the same podcast app you're using right now. RobinGobel.com slash start here. Right. I love that one. I know they can do it because I was like, well, you know what? Sometimes I'm capable of having a perfectly grown up, calm, regulated um, discussion with my husband too. And then other times (laughs) you think I've never developed that skill ever in my life. Sometimes I can get my paperwork done on time or return an email. Sometimes I can't. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. So you're clearly like so connected to the neuroscience. Tell me, in addition to your occupational therapy background, so I know you have, you know, such a 
a bigger, you know, anatomy neuroscience background <coughs> than I do as a, as a therapist, but this relational neuroscience piece is a whole different field. So tell me how you got into that. And, and yeah, obviously it felt good. So it stuck. <coughs> right. Because I'm an OT. Um, and that's how I got into it. And it, it was an evolution, but where I am is I'm right back in OT school. This is definitely a plug for my profession. So in my training as an OT, first of all, you basically have to have a psych minor um, to become an OT and it's, it's entry-level master's degree. And, but I dissected a human brain, which is funny for somebody who's as tactile defensive as I am to deal with the uh, textures and smells of that room. Um, <laughs> but um, I dissected a human brain and, and that's where my fascination came with just how complicated and how heavy it is. Um, it, it was just, it's amazing. So, and then, you know, you go through your clinical practice and, and you start reading the neuroscience and you're like, yes, okay, this is home for me. This, when we're talking about the limbic system and when we're talking about the amygdala and when we're talking about the brainstem, like that's what I learned. Yeah. And, you know, OTs, we tend to, to, Pig, either get pigeonholed or pigeonhole ourselves into the sensory, the, the, the brainstem piece, which is fair. I mean, that's, you know, we're experts in sensory processing and I have specialized training that only OTs can get in sensory processing, but, and it's important to rule sensory processing issues out, Yes, but we have to go deeper. And that deeper is the neuro and, and all of the things that we're talking about, the relational neuroscience. Um, and so that's where I landed. So I, I feel like I'm home, mm -hmm. um, but I'm home with a whole new literature base and evidence base that wasn't necessarily available to clinicians 22 years ago. Yes. Um, so it's, it's, I'm, I kind of feel like I'm full circle and I'm frustrated with the OTs of the world. And, and mm -hmm. many people are, I know, um, psychologists are frustrated with psychologists like, yes. because behaviorism is so just embedded in what we learned and, and what our culture is and, and how we discipline kids. Um, so I just feel like I'm back in OT school again, but with a little bit more knowledge. So like when I was in college, it was like a dry erase board. That's how I planned out my whole life. Uh -huh. So like, I'm like back there, but now it's like with an iPad. So. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Okay. So let's get into behaviorism and how that's so, well, no, you know, like, every, I don't nobody, want will see, every, nobody will see your face, but Greg's face just like totally fell when I said, let's get into behaviorism, but it's specific to you how the way that you view kids and their behaviors is different. How is it different? So, <clears throat> well, let me, cause I, I think of, I always go sensory first. Um, and it's, a, again, it's important to rule out the sensory. So we, and, and I, I know that you're familiar with the whole brain child and, and uh, the upstairs and the downstairs brain. So 
that's OTs live downstairs in yes. the downstairs brain where all of the, the reactivity and the non-thinking part of the brain. So when everything comes in, every, every piece of information that we get comes in through our senses. Mm-hmm. We hear things, we see things, we move through the world. So that's where I always start. Um, so I don't, I don't even understand when people say it's just behavioral. Like that's yes. a concept that I don't even grasp, which is why I have such a hard time collaborating with people in that mindset. Cause from the starting point, they've lost me. Right. Um, so I look at, at sensory processing first um, to see what's going on. And there's plenty of kids that I've worked with who where sensory processing has influenced their behavior. Um, a kid who would have a meltdown in school every time he would go to uh, right before he would go to computer lab, he would drop down in the floor um, in just a fit, not wanting to go in. Everybody in the behavioral mindset thought he was just avoiding work that he didn't want to do the actual computer work. He just wanted to play on the computer. Um, His dad had come in for a conference once and walked into the computer room and looked at everybody and said, do you hear that? And we no one knew what he was talking about. And he's like, it's the fans. And wow. it was the the loudness to, to the child, because being so hypersensitive, um, it was the fans that was setting him off. Um, that's a sensory processing issue that influences behavior. That's yes. the, the meltdown was the, the observable behavior that didn't tell the story at all. Right. Um, right. You know, another kid who got hugged by a little girl, um, it, he was a first grader. She hugged him, which is cute unless you're tactile defensive. Uh-huh. And then you hate it. Like yes. ugh, it's an icky yeah. girl. You're in first grade. Like, yeah. um, so then he runs away. He didn't hit her, which he used to do. He runs away and hides under the desk. Yeah. Okay. That's actually a win. He got away from the noxious stimuli. Um, but then she followed that stalker of a first grader, followed him <laughs> while he was under the desk in his safe space, looking for yes. safety. He takes a paper clip up and goes, get away from here. I'm going to shoot you. Pew, pew, pew. Uh-huh. And got suspended. Yeah. So that's, you know, the behavioral mindset versus the sensory. Yes. Um, so that's like, we have to rule those things out. And that's where OTs really need to, to be involved and, and have a seat at the table. But there are other kids who will mobilize when there's a sense of threat, something's difficult for them. They're frustrated. Something triggered them in their environment. Um, those are the kids that the traditional sensory strategies may not work. Um, I'm thinking of a kid like classic diagnosed ADHD. Um, you know, you may see a kid moving around and say, oh, he, he needs a movement break. You know, let's do some sensory diet things. And it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So then the OTs go, oh, oh, it's not sensory. No, 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 no. He's something dysregulated him. Yes. And he mobilized because of that dysregulation. So he's not seeking movement. He's dysregulated. We have to go back and focus on that state regulation. And then when we do that, behaviors improve. So that's kind of like how I go you know, back and forth in between that state regulation, polyvagal way of thinking 
And yet that knowledge of sensory processing and being able to tease out which one it is, when do I need to do some traditional sensory strategies Yes, um, that will help because kids do need to move. Yes. Um, you know, they need recess. They need time to downregulate themselves or figure out how to downregulate themselves. Um, but when are the other times when they're triggered by something in their environment that we have to respond to that the movement may just make things worse. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of, and, but nowhere in that did I say the word behavior. Right. <laughs> because that's just, that's just what brought me to the conversation. It's the digging deeper that not only solves the problems, but it solves them durably. So it's not just a quick fix to get him to sit down and work. It's no, you're, you're honoring his neurology and then you're getting that felt safety. And then he's more able to participate. So I don't even buy into the whole preferred versus non-preferred activities. I hate those (laughs) phrases because look, there's a lot of, I mean, honestly, I I'd sooner be laying on my couch, just pounding bacon and drinking coffee and scrolling Facebook all day. That's my preferred activity. Exactly. But, but I do all the other things because when I'm in a state of regulation and I feel connected to other people, I can kind of play along. Yes. So, so it drives me nuts, but we're getting there. We're yeah, getting there. We are. I feel, I mean, I'll go off on the same things. It's like, listen, people like there's a lot of stuff I don't want to do all right. day long, every day, like most right. of the things to be right. honest with you, right. but I do them for a whole host of reasons. One of them is that I have the frustration tolerance to get through things I don't particularly want to do. But the other one is that when I'm regulated, when I'm safe, when I'm connected to people in my environment and to myself, I'm able to sort of set aside the fact that sure, I'd rather be laying on the couch doing whatever and do the things that are like supportive of my relationship, supportive of how I connect and cooperate with each other. That when we go back to that like connections a biological imperative, right? Like when the science really proved that up, it's our default, it's our expectation. Then I like shifted to the backside of it. So it was like, which is like, okay, so what's happening when people, I mean, the kids I work with who have he- serious histories of relational trauma are clearly behaving in ways that are saying, I don't want to be connected to you and I'll do anything to avoid being connected with you. And and there's no like that is a true thing that's really happening, but why? That's <laughs> like why? Like and same thing with the idea of like work avoidance. It's like, well, <laughs> why? Like right. why are we stopping there? Because right. that isn't the human default. The human default isn't to be as lazy and uh, immobilized as possible. That is not how humans are formed. <laughs> <laughs> So we, so if we could get, stop, pause and get curious, right. About the, like, but why? Yeah. The, um, the whole work avoidance thing, um, you know, escaping, avoiding work. Um, what's the other one that I love eloping. He's eloping. I'm like, listen, I work with elementary school kids. They're too young to get married anyway. Travel first. Um, So it's like, come on. Um, Yeah. And it, it just, it puts us on this, this awful trajectory of kid blaming yeah. that, Oh, he's just avoiding work. 
because he wouldn't rather just be kicking butt and taking names and connected with everybody that work avoiding and just, you know, that's working out better for him. Having, having everybody pissed off at him is working out better for him. Right. Uh, so it's just, and then, so you, you define it as work avoidance. So you're describing it as a motivation thing. So then you got to motivate him to try not to avoid the work. And here we are, and this is what's been going on and it's still going on. And I, we're trying to change it. Um, but the whole trajectory is wrong that, you know, you get into this cycle of rewards and punishments to try to get them to be motivated to do the work. No, something's getting in the way that's preventing him from doing well. And it's up to us to dig deeper and it's okay that we did it wrong in the past. We just yes. have to own it yes. and be committed to change. And you don't need expensive tools or charts or fancy curriculums or spend all of this money. You just have to start with your relationship yeah. and you have to be brave enough to lower the expectation temporarily so that you can reconnect with this kid. And when they're back and you're connected with them, then move forward. Um, you know, we, we kid blame a lot. We really have to start owning this and, and kind of blaming ourselves. I have, uh, the majority of, of challenging behaviors that I've seen have been caused by the adults yes. pushing a dysregulated kid, yes. you know, just being convinced that it's just, they're just avoiding that I can get them to do one more and they're missing the stress cues and they're not stepping back and, and seeing their face and seeing their body posture and seeing their breathing or the fact that their face is turning red um, or that their eyes are wandering and you see them boiling over and we keep pushing and then boom, the explosion. Right. How many behaviors could we have prevented by recognizing those stress cues first? There's a lot of education we have to do. I would own that myself even. And even if I think back into my work as a therapist, like there is absolutely any time where I looked at a, a moment in the therapeutic experience where, you know, I was faced with significant dysregulation to the point where somebody was going to, or possibly, or did get hurt, right. Having to really be like you said, brave, honest, vulnerable with myself mm -hmm. to be like, what did I ignore? Like what sign did I ignore? Or I know what would happen for me so often earlier in my career was, and I know this is happening for so many professionals is like, there would be this sense of like, Oh, this is working. Like I use this tool and this child is more cooperative. So now I can raise the bar <laughs> instead of like, listening. And then I finally, I remember the moment where I looked at this child's mom and I was like, they're so clear with us. The children are so clear with us about what they're capable of doing. Yep. If we would just listen to them, okay. we would all stop getting hurt. Yeah. Right. I, you know, what? it reminded me of a story. I just had a great conversation um, with an elementary school teacher who was you know, had read what I had written about like behavior charts and everything. Uh -huh. And, and she reached out to me and she said, I read everything and, and, and it resonated. And I decided I was going to take it down, but I said, let me talk to the kids first. And I'm like, Oh, I love where this is going. That's a fascinating concept to actually ask the people that you're exposing these torturous <laughs> tactics to. Um, <laughs> and, and couldn't believe she said, I couldn't believe what they told me. 
that that clip chart really stresses them out uh-huh. and that, you know, they made it made them sad when they couldn't get all the way up to the top and that they were scared that the bottom was call home. The end. And she's like, I took it down and she goes, I'm never going back. And I'm like, that's all, that's all we need. And, yeah. and kudos. Yes. I know that's what you've done in the past and it's always worked for you before. Okay, fuck. That's, that's that's fine. fine. We're, we're all yes. evolving, yes. right? And I, like, we're not mad at you for doing it. Right. I I love you to the nth degree for having that internal dialogue with yourself and then going to the kids. They are so honest, and you know they just tell you. And guess what? Classrooms going okay. The kids are not running all over, hanging from the ceilings. You know, they're not just like stripping naked and streaking, like throwing. Te- it, Which it's part of me really- is like, what'll be wrong with that? That sounds fun. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Right? That's exactly. That's how I want to learn. <laughs> and, like she, she hasn't completely lost control of her class. In yeah. fact, she sees her kids in a completely different light. And you know what? One teacher with a little bit of support every once in a while, twenty something kids. She's got it. And, and what I tell teachers and what I, when I uh, do workshops is, you know, teachers don't necessarily learn about regulation in their educational program, but you know what? Connecting with kids. Yes. That's probably what brought you into teaching to begin with. When you were lining up all your dolls as a little kid and you were standing up there teaching and it's like, everybody just loved their teacher. Like go back to that. And you don't need an expensive curriculum or a chart for that. Just go back to that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I I don't speak to teachers terribly often because it's just not my expertise, but I do occasionally get brought in to teach to educators and I will say something really similar. Like you are here. I mean, I know that you're sometimes you'll say like, Oh, I didn't become a teacher because I want to do all this social worky mumbo jumbo stuff. I'm like, but you became a teacher because you love kids and because you love this thing you want to share with kids, right? Like you're here teaching physics because you love physics so much and you want to teach kids about it. So what if these types of ways of being in the classroom allowed you to do exactly that? Share what you love with the people that you love. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny that like it's, it's become, Teachers have lost a lot of control um, because of the system, which is really frustrating. Yeah. Um, but it's it's become, and I blame this going way back to like no child left behind and everything when, when standardized testing really kind of took over. Yeah. But um, it's become teach to the test. Yeah. But like one of the one of the things, and I still go into elementary school. In fact, I'm going into an elementary school classroom as soon as we log off. The um is is to be able to stop when you're losing the kids and reconnect. Yes. That because if they're, if they're doing a lot of calling out and they're fidgeting and and there's a lot of background noise when you're trying to teach, they're not available. They're not getting the content that you want them to get. So stop and just reconnect with them because that two or three minutes of stopping and reconnecting and planning together is going to get you back to your goals a heck of a lot quicker than just trying to force them into compliance where they're still not going to learn the content anyway, because they're still dysregulated. That's absolutely right. Like if we can shift from we're going for this behavior, we're hoping to find to, I'm hoping to help my kid get into a state in their body 
in which their brain is available to learn. And by the way, we'll see the behavior we're looking for too. Right. right? That because just like you said, if we're just forcing compliance, we've still got internally dysregulated kids who still aren't learning, which theoretically that is the goal here, right? Not just behaviorally compliant kids, but the next piece, which is because we want them and whether that be in the classroom or in the family, right. That, you know, like Theoretically, what we're going for here is kids who are regulated enough that they're, you know, I talk about the owl brain and that their owl brain is open and available for learning, connection, cooperation, you know, doing (laughs) non-preferred tasks, air quotes, right? But like that, yes, we can all agree that that's that's how we work as humans. Like we work when we're all connected and cooperative. That's kind of how it goes. But we don't have to focus on the behavior. We can focus on this, the underlying, you know, body experience and the physiology, because then that behavior is simply going to emerge. Right. And what, Not what, simply, but yeah, but, but the, the, I think where I took what you said was <clears throat> it's important to, I mean, all of the, the, the podcasts and the writings and the literature, what that does and where we all have to go as, as parents and educators and, and professionals is it creates a model that when there is a challenge, you go to that model, yeah. that if you have this foundation and, and that's, that's where I needed to get to as a parent and then translate it to, to my professional life is when there's a trigger um, and kids trigger us to not react to stay to say in my upstairs brain if you will and right. to go to that model that that okay they're telling me that they're having a hard time because that allows me to come at the situation from a state of regulation because it's it's cliche now a dysregulated adult is never going to be able to help a, a, a dysregulated child so you know, for all the parents out there who the kid's not listening, the kid's not listening, you're just getting louder, you get dysregulated, boom, power struggle. If you go to this model of they're having a hard time, you know, meeting this expectation, that brings a little bit more cognition to it, a little bit more regulation from the adult standpoint, and then we can go. I, I am Italian. I grew up in an Italian household. If somebody's not listening, you get a little bit louder. Yeah. Um, you know, if I say put your shoes on, clearly they're hard of hearing and, and have to go a little bit louder. Um, I've learned then that after like the third or fourth time of telling my son to put his shoes on, um, that his auditory processing is not optimal at this point. And that's okay. So instead of me getting pissed off that he's not listening to me, I change the sensory channel that I'm talking yes. to him with. And I go up. And all of a sudden he looks at me and I hand him his shoe and I connect with him and his shoes go on right away. And I'm like, wait, I didn't have to do all that yelling. I just had to change the sensory channel, focus a little bit more on connection, use tactile and visual versus auditory. And I got his shoes on fast versus saying his name 6,000 times. I'm like, wow, that's fascinating concept. And a, much more peaceful household. Can you say just a little bit more about that change the sensory channel? Cause I saw that again, you know, I'm a big fan. I'm following you on Facebook. (laughs) 
And that when I when you posted that, I was like, oh, that is just a brilliant way to describe that kind of that right. technique, if you will. So say more about change the sensory channel. And so it it um I mean auditory is perfect because when kids are dysregulated, frequently what we see is their auditory processing just disappears. Mm -hmm. And so what do we do in school? Well, if you're a teacher who does a lot of like lecture type format, you are not, it's not getting in. It's their hearing is fine. They're not processing it. Right. Um, So, and, and my son's hearing has been checked. It's fine. But there are times where I feel like he literally does not have ears on his body. So that sensory channel, his auditory processing is not available. So I have to use something else. So, you know, in, in my situation with my kids is I can get their, their eyes that if I, if I get their eyes and they look at me um, and quick disclaimer, I'm not talking about forcing eye contact. Yes. I'm just talking about connecting through looking at somebody Yes, um, that, that is more beneficial. That, sensory channel lets me know that they're connected to me so that I have them and I can move forward. Um, Having people feel something or having them actually do something, those are all using different sensory channels. We all know, are you a visual learner? Are you an auditory learner? Are you a kinesthetic learner? We use that in our adult world. How do you learn? Do you have to physically do something? Do you have to see it on paper and then do it? Like what sensory channels do you use to learn best? We typically go auditory for our kids, which in a dysregulated state is probably the worst way to go. So that's what I mean, change the sensory channel. So again, if I physically hand him a shoe, that's touch, that's tactile. That's different from just telling him to put his shoes on. If he sees me hand him the shoes, that's visual plus tactile. If I put the shoe on him and kind of wrestle his shoe in, add a little proprioception in there, which is like a body awareness sense. I just added another level and a different sensory channel than just telling him to do it. Um, Again, it's another great example that everybody in the world needs to hang out with OTs. We're really cool people. I don't disagree (laughs) with that at all. I went to a conference in June with a group of OTs and it was seriously the highlight maybe of my year because I don't get out much because of this whole pandemic thing. (laughs) But we, I mean, yes, we had so much fun. We just had an absolute blast. And the story that you just shared it's such a great example, too, of getting below the behavior and looking at the physiology, right? Because it'd be really easy. I can just hear a dysregulated parent describing that scenario of like, my kid will only cooperate if I blah, blah, blah. Like if I'm, if I do it for them or, you know, they have no independence or they will only cooperate if I get right there. And it's like, okay, well, we surely we could view that exchange in that way, or we could get way below the observable behavior and look at exactly what you said, these different sensory channels like that. They just needed something different and maybe something more as well. Right. Awesome. Right. And how cool is it to, to just change the way we're thinking a little bit yeah. and have a little less yelling in the house? Right, and I was just saying, tension. like yep. that feels so much better in our, in the grown-ups' body, right. right? Like to have these more, like almost like breaths of 
regulation. Right. Because nothing's changing with my child, but the way that my body feels about their same, frankly, sure, it's a difficult, like we could call it difficult behavior. Like I've got other things to do in the morning than to like micromanage my child getting their shoes on, especially, you know, some of my parents, and I'm sure you too are doing this with. Children that they didn't imagine being this hands-on with at this age, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, my 15-year-old should be able to put their shoes on. Ah." (laughs) Yes, you're absolutely right. (laughs) Right, true. And if the truth is, is they're not. So if we can kind of shift our own nervous system state and how we're approaching this behavior, the behavior hasn't changed, but the tension in the home has changed dramatically simply because of how we've changed our own physiology. And I, that's a complete win, complete win. It's, and it's, it's energy conservation. Like I'm very like, I get now talking about all this stuff. I get triggered very easily. I'm very like, you know, type A, like, like gotta go. But this, this model of thinking um, has made me so chill with so many things that used to set me off. I agree. It's, it's energy conservation. So, you know, it, from an endurance standpoint, I'm, I'm lasting longer during the day. And, and yes. I'm just, you know, like my regulation is better during the day yes. because I can say, okay, this is a problem to solve yes. as opposed to, oh, this is driving me nuts. Yes. Well, that feels like such a great place for us to wrap up just on that note of this is changing our way of thinking, changing our way of being. I talk about how like that is an intervention. You want me to give you an intervention? You you want me to tell you what to do? I can do all those things, but also let's start with changing how we see what's happening and changing how we're viewing the behavior. That is an intervention because that shifts us. And I completely agree. Like the way I move through the world is drastically different than it was five, 10 years ago, because I'm not taking everybody's behavior personally anymore. It's almost just like, oh, that's curious. What an interesting thing that person is doing. And that, like the fight response in me or the like, I have to change this or whatever it is. We all have our own things that that triggers is it's just not there anymore. And that has changed. My life is not, my life is actually currently more stressful than it's probably ever been, but my own inner sense, you know, my own inner being is in such a different state that I can sort of just like ride the wave, not all the time, not even close to all the time, but Mm -hmm. so much more often than I used to be able to. And so much of that really truly is just my own embodied shift, not just a brain shift, but like my whole body believes that I can see everybody else's behavior in a totally new way. Total game changer. Total game changer. Well, I'm going to be bold and say, I hope this is not the last time we talk. Oh, this (laughs) will not be the last time we talk. This This is too much fun. So fun. (laughs) And to find the people, you know, that moment in the world where you're like, oh, you're my people. Let's do this again. Um, and I, I just hope that we have the opportunity to do that. Thank you for what you're doing and who you are in the world and the way you're using your platform to impact so many people. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Thank you for being you. And I promise you, I will see you soon. <laughs>
That will be so fun. <laughs> okay, before we before I press stop, tell yeah. everybody where they can find you. Where can, okay. where can they go find you? So there's this thing called Facebook. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it. <laughs> so and and Probably, I've saved focus yes. there. So it's <laughs> it's uh it's Greg Santucci, occupational therapist, is the Facebook page. That's with the amazing community. Um, that's how you can you can reach out to me. I also have gregsantucci.com, which is just hysterical to me that there's such a thing as gregsantucci.com. But that's where um, where I'm, I'm posting a lot of blogs and, and some of the infographics in, in PDF form so that you can share them with everybody um, and some of the speaking events. So those two places, Facebook, Greg Santucci Occupational Therapist and gregsantucci.com are the best way to kind of join the army and follow the journey. Awesome. Everybody, I will make sure there are live links to all of that down in the show notes and over on the blog and absolutely go check out the infographics are fantastic. So thank you. Thank you. So wonderful to spend this morning with you. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. You're the bomb. Thanks. See, I told you, Greg and I laughed and laughed. What an awesome, all around amazing guy. It's so grounding to me to know that there are people like Greg And honestly, y'all, there are so many people like Greg that I'll never get to know or meet out there doing this great work for kids and their families. And really, this work is for everyone on the planet. Check out all the cool stuff Greg has to offer on Facebook. I'll put live links in the show notes. As always, I overflow with gratitude for you that you're here listening, that you're doing your part, however big or small, in changing the world for our kids, their kids, and ultimately, everyone on the planet. I will see you next week. Are you ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief? Like, yes, finally, someone gets me and my kids. But also maybe a sense of like, okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what. If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events, including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos, plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory so families all over the world could find you, then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash beingwith, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too.
Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you could get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you can just head to my website, download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now. And I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.